listeners, welcome to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. And today we are going to be interviewing Nina Morrison. Nina is a playwright and director. She's a University of Iowa provost, post-graduating... <laughs> it's Can such a mouthful. <laughs> She's... Okay, I'm starting again. Nina Morrison is a playwright and director. She's a University of Iowa Provost's postgraduate visiting writer uh, for 2019 to 2020. Her play Feminal is being presented May 10 to 18th by the Grumble Theater in Minneapolis, St. Paul, is produced and directed by Allison Ruth, who we heard from on a previous episode. Nina's currently based in Iowa City, and before Iowa, she was based in New York City for 17 years. Um, Some of her previous credits are that she wrote and directed the plays Arrow In and Girl Adventure Parts 1 to 4, both presented by Dixon Place, the Hot Festival of Queer Performance, and the Little Theater Series. She was a Dixon Place artist-in-residence, and she was a workspace writer-in-residence, a residency program of the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council. Nina holds an MFA in directing and an MFA in playwriting, both from the University of Iowa. Welcome to Beckett's Babies. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> We're so glad to <laughs> your you intro on the music. Show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm very very glad to be on it. I'm your <laughs> intro music is incredibly optimistic, and I feel very good. Oh, good. <laughs> That's our hope that it just puts you in a in an optimistic mood. Yeah, we're we're all writers. <laughs> I, I'm not sure those two things follow directly. One another, but <laughs> let's just go yeah. with it. I'm just gonna go with it. So Nina, um, we like to start by asking people about their earliest memory before theater took over their lives. Hmm. So, what's the first thing you remember? The first thing I remember is a uh, this particular type of stone floor. That was in the entrance area of the home I grew up in from age four to 11. It was like this very hard, cold blue stone. And um, and it was very, I just remember really enjoying playing on that floor, but also that it was cold, like it was uncomfortable, but um, there are these huge ridges of stone where like um, hot wheels and stuff were, it looked like they were off-roading and that was exciting. <laughs> um, and, You're such a director. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really, it was like, yeah, if I was, I was location scouting for the, um, <laughs> the, the, the scenarios that I was setting up with all my toys. And, um, and yeah, you know, like my dolls were worked out on that as well. And so, yeah, that was it. Cool. My earliest memory is a texture. Yeah. Texture. So what, um, what drew you to theater and writing plays then? From texture. (laughs) Um, from texture. Yeah. We'll just work from there. It was so roundabout. It was like, I just kept falling into theater because I kept thinking like in high school, I was die hard like I'm I'm gonna be a photographer like you guys I'm not I'm not going to college I'm not doing anything like I refused to take the SATs because I was like oh I'm not gosh. doing this I'm just gonna go be a photographer it was ridiculous my parents were so mad and um 
But then I like took a year off and I worked for a photographer and it was like excruciatingly boring and I filed slides, you know, for like eight hours a day. And um, and then I was like, oh, the only way you make money in photography is by doing like all these stock photos and stuff. And um, And I hated it. So then I was like, okay, film, film. It's so obviously film. Like I'll do that. And so then I took the SATs and then I went and um but then the school that I went to like had no film program I didn't really like the way I made decisions then and kind of the way I do now a little bit too I'm tried I try to be more thoughtful now but the way I made decisions then was like oh I visited this school and I got into it and I remember that someone was wearing a cool outfit there so (laughs) I think I'm gonna go there like it was just it was like that's that's why I ended up there and so but then I ended up at this place that doesn't have a photography program it doesn't have a film program and so I was like okay well the closest thing is theater so I'll just do that and then I became this like theater junkie like it was all I did and I just you know I only knew people in the theater department and we all hung out and then after we graduated we all moved to New York together and then still hung out together in New York all the time to the point that like the new New York friends that I made were like who are these people like why how do you even know them and I was like no who are you were you meeting them at bars where were you meeting them oh uh, because when I got to New York I was like oh I want to be an actor like act you know that would be that would be a really fun thing to do and then I hated it and I um but I started to do improv and um so then I got really into doing improv so then my second group of New York friends were improv friends. did you wear a lot of like um different color t-shirts <laughs> and flannel jeans well uh, <laughs> those are those are great <laughs> questions because um <laughs> I have a real fixation on the um, costuming of improv teams <laughs> <laughs> because I just, you know, I did a lot of improv and I saw a lot of improv and a lot of people were like, you know, what we should do is just wear like different colors, solid <laughs> t-shirts and we should all wear Converse sneakers and you know that'll make us look unified but we're still like young and so and then this improv team that I was really obsessed with like they all wore suits like even the women wore suits and um with like skinny ties they all looked yeah it was really cool they looked like they were in um like a 60s band or something but it was also like other improvisers like hardcore improvisers were just like so pretentious they hated them (laughs) like they were they were very divisive (laughs) because because like if you were the coolest improviser then it looked like it looked like you basically just put all your clothes on the floor and then just whichever ones were closest like that's what you put on and like you didn't care about anything except like going up and being hilarious no it's not (laughs) sam you think about your clothes more than that yeah and you don't smell sam you don't smell Yeah, you don't smell like, or, you know, it's like you appear to be someone who does their laundry (laughs) and I don't know, just cares more about things than just like, is it a good bit? Can we go back for a second to when you first got into theater in college? Was there like a show that you saw that made you into a theater junkie or a show that you worked on? Um, Can you point to any particular play? The uh, yeah, well, two things. Two things kind of made me a theater junkie. Like the first thing was um, 
I took this like, you know, a, an acting one class and we had to do a monologue and I did a monologue from um, Carol Churchill's Cloud mm. Nine and it just blew my mind. It was the one where, um, I can't even remember the character's name, but she talks about how when she was a child, she would, her mom like caught her masturbating and, um, and was like, she shamed her for it so intensely that she had like never allowed herself to have mm -hmm. an orgasm. And, um, and then something like after her husband died, I think, I mean, it was like so outrageous. Like I'm 19 and I'm doing this monologue <laughs> from a, you know, but still. I think the woman is like in her sixties, <laughs> but it was like, but it was extraordinary. You know, I just hadn't, I hadn't read anything like that. And I hadn't read anything like that play. That's still, I consider one of my most favorite plays. Um, yeah. And so, and I remember doing that and feeling like, feeling so free when I was playing the character. And it was like, that was, that was such an unusual, liberating feeling. And then the other thing was I saw this company called Adapters Movement. We went to, my, my college was right outside of DC. So we went to DC to see this show um, by the Adapters Movement Company, which is now called the... Margolis Method Company, and they have a school in upstate New York. Um, but they they did this um, movement theater, and I really love dance. And so, but I never knew that dance and theater could be combined in a way that would, yeah, really work. And then I saw this movement theater, and it was it was so beautiful, and I, all of us were just stunned by it. Um, and so then I was like, oh, if theater can do that, then I definitely want to be part of it. Cool. So what's it like having two MFAs? Um, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. So you came to Iowa uh, studying directing and you got your MFA in directing. And then well, what right. happened? <laughs> what happened? So little backstory. I was writing and directing when I was in New York. And because um, I had eventually like I moved on from improv, then I got into directing and then I got into writing and directing and was like, OK, this is where I really want to be. But then I realized I wanted to go to grad school and there aren't any I should say there aren't any, but there's like two two programs that would support like doing both. And I didn't I wanted to go to Iowa and I just had to choose. So I chose, I was like, just focus on directing. But then I got to Iowa and then I, you know, I just like sort of snuck over into taking some playwriting classes and then wrote a play and then, and then it got produced and Sam directed it. Um, like the, the school gave me a, a production slot for it. And then the playwriting professors were like, why don't you just Yeah, well, you're skipping over the step of it was really well received and everybody was mm -hmm. very impressed with your playwriting. It was. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, 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 yeah, that's what happened. Um, and they were true. like, why don't, yeah, why don't you, um, why don't, because you were finishing your MFA in directing and so they suggested that you stay a couple more years and also do the playwriting program. Yeah, and I was... I was so excited because I thought that that wasn't really even allowed. Like it just wasn't, you had to choose one thing. You had to focus on it. And I had, I mean, I wrote this whole essay. Like I wrote a blog post about how like, you know, I had to make this crucial decision. You know, I was 40 and I had to go to school. You know, I had to get myself completely focused and get my life squared away. And then it turned out that like by doing that, like by taking all these steps to, 
to go in one particular direction of being a director led me right into what I really love doing. Like, I think if I was going to write a follow-up essay to it, it would be like, okay, make all the plans and then just know that they're not going to work out, but that's great. <laughs> you know, like you don't, you don't want them to work out yeah. the way that you imagine them because the way they work out actually is just so much better. Why do you think so there's much more interesting. so much pressure in mm. the theater world to specialize in one form or one, um, one identity as an artist? I think just the way it, the way there's pressure in, in any, um, endeavor because it's just so much easier to work with someone if you're like I know what you do and I I, there's a system in place and I can put you right in the system I mean Cho you're more involved in film and like the you know Hollywood industry it's like there's so much money Mm -hmm. riding on a lot of projects that it's like people just want to know like, oh, you're the person who does mm-hmm. that right. thing really well. And so um, that that makes investors feel more comfortable. But I think it also makes audiences feel more comfortable. I mean, even with like genre and stuff, like if you write something that tonally is all over the place, it's just like, well, wait, what mm-hmm. what kind of play do you write? You know, mm-hmm. like, is it funny or is it dark or is it like, what, what am I supposed to Am I to supposed to laugh this? in this moment? So I think it's just that... <laughs> Yeah, or is that really right. awful? Like, am I a terrible person if I laugh right. in this moment? There are writers who, you know, um, hired to just adapt. You know, they're like, I, I'm good at adapting, and I'm just going right, to right. write ad- adaptations. Another side of the thing that you just said, Nina, I was just thinking, like, yeah, there's a lot of money involved. And then where people just make up jobs, too. <laughs> they're just mm-hmm. like, they just like, this role doesn't <laughs> exist. I'm just going to make, there's so, it's insane to me how many middlemen there are. <laughs> Mm-hmm. To just to do one job, like oh, yeah. I'm like get out of my way, just get out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "No, I found my niche." You know, it's like, all just made up. It's it. all made up, anyways. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. No, Cho, don't say that too loud. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I just because I mean, it's like I fell prey to that too. You know, it's just like. If I hear about somebody who's like, like, oh, they're a writer, but they also want to act in their play and they also want to like do the scenic design or something like that, then I immediately have suspicion, even though I'm a total like slashy kind of person, you know, where I do lots of things. Mm-hmm. But, but then I hear it and I'm like, no, I want the comfort of just knowing that this person has studied one thing and they've done that their whole life. and I always think really when good. I see that, even though I know it's totally not true, but my, my first thought is, oh, that person's not good at sharing. <laughs> you know, it's like they want to do it all themselves. <laughs> They're very controlling. Even though I've <laughs> right. had many right. yeah. examples to the contrary. But I think that is kind of an yeah. ingrained yeah. Um, stereotype about people who like want to do everything that they they're not good at working with others or something yeah i'm i'm on a sketch team where it really feels it's very i don't know like socialist or something because it's no one has a like everyone is i don't it's i don't say social it's a wrong label but it just feels like there's really we have one director that comes in you know once a week but in terms of from marketing writing producing 
performing together. It's like we're all together on it and we all have to share responsibility. Like we all have to have the sense of awareness, like who's doing more and then how can we help that person and pick up the slack, you know? And then so it's like all this that we're building together as a team. So for me, I'm like, man, theater, what you said, Sam, like, they're not sharing like it's kind of learning <laughs> to sort of like give and take you know like some people yeah like, I'm the type of person where yeah. I'm just like I'll just do it all I'll just do it because it's easier then I get burnt out and then I just can't do anything yes. <laughs> and then I give up <laughs> and then but then it's like that um <laughs> we took a collaboration class um in our first year at Iowa and one thing I remember Dare Club saying was like um, when we leave or like people outside of Iowa want us Iowa people to be the best collaborators like that's the kind of the thing oh. that stuck with me when he said that like sort of that impression oh, and I was like cool. okay like how in any situation whatever job or whatever project I'm on like how can I be the best collaborator because I feel like that word is less intimidating yeah I forgot that he said that but also that's that's such a oh what a great goal, you know, to want to to want to leave as the best collaborator. But also, I'm so impressed with your sketch team because it's really hard to find a group oh, yeah. of people where everybody's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up the slack or I'm gonna be aware of these." I lucked things. out I mean, for sure. Ugh, I lucked uh, out. I don't know because <laughs> I mean there yeah. are teams that break up, you know, but also they just can't handle it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's very hard. It is hard to be a socialist, I mean, you know, on a, on a sketch team <laughs> in, in every sense. Nina, can you talk a little bit about the process of rewriting? Like once you have a first draft and then you're thinking about maybe collaborating with a, a team of artists or maybe you're not even at that stage yet, but you're starting to think about a reading that's coming up. How do you rewrite a play? What process do you use? I mostly think about it. I think I'm going to give something that I'm pretty sure is like a wrong answer, but I really think about, I'm just obsessed with the audience experience. And so the things that are the top of my mind in a rewrite process is what did they not understand? What, what was really important to the, for me to get across that didn't get across and how can I fix that? Like all I want to do is just make it so that an audience can come in and understand what's being said and have the experience in the most, just with no, no Mm -hmm. obstacles, no, no head scratching, like, like head scratching where it's supposed to be, you know, when there's moments of mystery and there's moments of um, confusion between, you know, that you're supposed to actually understand, but then, if there's things where it's just like, but wait, how did she have that job if she also had another, you know, where it's just like, if you're being held up by weird logistic things or like, I love to make obscure references. Um, so like this play, the play Obscenity that I did in the first draft of it, I wrote that there's a conference room that has a massive portrait of August Strindberg in it. And um, that, you know, and I didn't, I didn't say anything else about it except like the founders of the bank love Ibsen, but they put up a, a, a huge portrait of Strindberg and only people who know 
that Ibsen kept a portrait of Strindberg above his desk because he hated him. Um, and was motivated was, by that. Felt competitive hatred. with him. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, when people were hearing it in the reading, they, and I, even I, like, I had just directed an Ibsen play and um, I didn't know that. One of the dramaturgs in the um, program at the time was like, oh, you know, I have a picture of, I have a portrait of Strindberg on my desk because that's what <laughs> Ibsen did. And I just thought that was so funny. So I was like, I'm going to put this in my play about Ibsen. And, um, but then during the reading, people laughed at it because it was weird, but only like only Dare and Art, our professors, they laughed at it because they knew that story, but no one else did. So like that rewriting example was me making it so that you didn't have to know anything about Ibsen or Strindberg to understand mm -hmm. why that was funny. Like just adding, adding a few lines that explained all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just, I have a complete fixation on making sure that the play, the play is coming through that I'm not. I wonder why you way. said that was maybe a wrong answer. Cause that sounds like a very important part of. Cause it feels so. I don't know. I feel so commercial. <laughs> I feel so capitalist. Like <laughs> I just want to sell my jokes and like I don't know. It it feels like like a real like a what would be a good answer? Like the the right answer in my mind. Like if I was a super serious writer. Like mm -hmm. if I yeah. Like to make it more esoteric so that only the the like elitist artists oh, in the God. audience could understand what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like first I go back and I, I, yeah, I read Proust in French. Switch around the order and then of the pages. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I switch around the order of the pages. I listen to John Cage. <laughs> I, um, I, I do a like a really deep dive into the wardrobe of one of the characters' <laughs> mothers, and then, um, then I go back and you know, like that. Was, that's my right answer. That that's like the official really answer. Edit out the other process. one. I think I'm gonna have to try that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, really recommend. So that. your ideas about rewriting? Do you feel like as a director informed that way of thinking? Definitely. Yeah. Well, they inform me. I don't know. Like sometimes they help. Sometimes it helps being a director, and then sometimes it it can be like a, an additional editorial voice where it's just like, oh, nobody's gonna get that. Oh, you're not gonna be able to pay for that set. Oh, you're not gonna. <laughs> so it's like sometimes it's just like little logistical things will pop up um, from the director's voice. But the other thing, that revision process definitely comes from a, the director side of me, where it's like, how can I? how can I make this so that when we're in a room of collaborators that were, that every, everybody can understand what it is mm -hmm. that we're driving towards, you know, what are we, what do we want to do to the audience? Um, and, and that, that that's clear through the text. Yeah. I feel like having those dual roles is so helpful. Like I, it's cause, cause you're yeah. coming from different, perspectives of you know the mindset and so because I know for me I get really peeved when everyone's like I'm just a writer nothing else <laughs> nothing more like that's only my focus and I'm like really you have a computer that you can do anything with and you like 
that's just more than opening a document. Like you can do anything on your computer and you're just going to say you're just a writer. Nothing, which I'm okay with, but I'm just like <laughs> with the amount of resources out there. No, it sucks. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why don't you take a full advantage? Yeah, yeah no, I don't know. it's ridiculous. It's, I just feel like when I take different classes yeah. from like, like from editing, the audio or product or like it just anything. I just feel like when I come back to playwriting or I'm like, oh, I kind of have a different perspective now. Just a little mm-hmm. bit, like a little, mm-hmm. a little, a different angle to this and a little different approach. Because I feel like just writer to me is sort of, I can't even just like, like you're, you're just swallowing everything up around you. Right. Yeah. And that's so, it, I think you're totally right because it's like, you're sitting there in the room and it's like, oh, wait, so I'm not supposed to be taking in like the way that the design mm-hmm. is affecting this or the way that like the, the choices that the actors are making or all of it. It's just, it's, there's so much overlap. And I mean, even like I've worked with both of mm. you as a director and there was, there was no time that I felt in the room with either of you, like, like, oh, well, you know, she's just <laughs> a writer. And, um, and so now I've got to like, I've got to like full steam ahead, you know, like really direct this ship, you know, get us sailing straight <laughs> and whatever, because, you know, you just don't know. It's like, it was always like, you know, there was just always a conversation mm-hmm. happening where it was like, what if we tried this? Or like, what if I do this line this way? Or what if, what if the designer took this approach? I mean, it was, I, well, I think those kinds of rooms are like the most alive mm-hmm. and I, I can't imagine I can't imagine working with you guys and then being like, oh, I don't want to hear from you or something or mm-hmm. vice versa. You know, it's like both of you are very um, you were just very open in the process and like really genuinely excited. And I mean, you know, Sam then directed she directed Feminal at mm, at right. Iowa. She directed mm-hmm. the first production of it. And um you know, it's like technically not like a huge amount of directing experience, but I mean, like crushed it. <laughs> oh, she you know, crushed just it. And by listening, I'm not a huge amount. And, um, I mean, I had none, no experience <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> okay, yeah. So vote to no, you know, <laughs> experience. But whatever. I mean, like you crushed it and you designed the set. Wow. Like it was just, it was so wild. Like. I don't know. And then Cho, like you did this whole amazing guerrilla <laughs> marketing campaign yeah. for family dinner. Oh, right. That was like, the, the and I remember gnome. like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. with Yeah. With, <laughs> but I mean, that, that was discussed. Literally, that was like a, a huge discussion point in my theater management That's class. That's because so cool. you had, yeah, you know. So it's just like theater is so one of the reasons that theater is so exciting is because like you do, you get to be in a room with incredibly creative people mm-hmm. making something together. I mean, it's and everybody's thrilling. an artist in that room. Mm-hmm. And right. Maybe we would all be better off if we move away yeah. from thinking of ourselves as like, I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm an actor. And we just think, oh, we're all artists, you know, yeah. working together mm-hmm. to make this new piece. Yeah. Right. And everybody's pulling from all of their different talents whether or not those are specific to their role you know in that particular Mm -hmm. play yeah cool Nina well so we talked about um feminal on a previous episode but for listeners who are just joining us I know that tickets just went on sale (laughs) for this production at Grumble Theater in it's in Minneapolis or St. Paul Minneapolis. 
well, in the in, Twin Cities. Well, I guess I'm just going to say the Twin Cities. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's just well, say the Twin Cities. Listeners, we'll get that information to you on our website. Mm-hmm. But yeah, listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about the um, the origin of that play and what they can expect to see? Yeah. Listeners, I wanted to write a play that was inspired by Brecht and inspired by the French New Wave film director Jean-Luc Godard. Um, And specifically, Brecht's first play called Ball and Godard's Masculine Feminine. Um, Both are about these wayward young men who um who have a ton of sex and adventures and um and make some fairly fairly big mistakes. I mean in Ball's case he's a murderer. <laughs> and it's a um you know, but they never get <laughs> well, he didn't mean to. Yeah, kind of. No, he did. He was very jealous. So um but at the end of Ball <laughs> spoiler, he's um he's he's not punished he just he runs away and he doesn't get caught for the murder and um masculine feminine ends more sadly um because we're we're led to believe that he's committed suicide but it's unclear um but through through these films and particularly through um the directors like godard is known as this director who's very, you know, he changed filmmaking. He used a style of editing that was um, unusual at the time and wrote stories that were not uh, not as conventionally structured. And uh, Brecht, of course, the same, you know, changed all of theater with the way that he wrote plays. Um, but both of them were very aggressive with the audience. And that was what was so appealing to me. Um, So I wanted to do something that was feminine, like coming from me um, and coming from a woman's perspective, but that was just as aggressively dealing with the audience. So um, before the audience comes in, everyone is required to sign a contract that says they agree to identify as a woman while watching the show. Um, and the reason I did that, well, there's several reasons I did that one, because, um, I've been so frustrated as a woman viewer of theater and film, um, and just as a woman consumer of media feeling like things are just Mm -hmm. not made for me. They're not made for my view. And, um, I'm not, I don't, I don't see I'm not excited by the images that are presented so much so, but I get excited about the form. I, you know, I love, I love film. Um, I love theater. And so I'll get excited about it formally, but then feel mm-hmm. shut out of it mm-hmm. um, in or a human way. Or that you way. have to, and, at least um, I often feel like I have to identify as a man in order to enjoy a film fully, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that we, that we all learn how to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. So it just becomes second nature. Like that was that was why I wanted to put it in the contract that um, or to have like a contractual agreement, because I feel like every time I go to the movies, I'm signing a contract. You know, I'm, I'm always agreeing to like, OK, I'm just going to put aside, you know, my feminist outrage. I'm going to put aside 
everything that I don't relate to about this or the ways that I feel that women are being presented um, that are inaccurate and demeaning often. And, and I'm just going to enjoy this as a piece of film and I'm going to pretend like I'm a man because that's who it was made for. And, um, but then beyond, beyond the gender binary, I wanted to, or not beyond the gender binary, but a different way of addressing the gender binary is also that right now, um, and especially like when I was starting to write that, I had become more and more aware of um, people who were identifying as trans and people who are identifying as non-binary. And this is, I'm just going to quote Sam to <laughs> Sam, but you said some, this is like a bad paraphrase of what you said, but when you were directing it, you said like, on the one hand, it's, you know, you're talking about a binary, you're asking people to identify as a woman, but on the other hand, it's like you're pointing out how flimsy it is, how flimsy the binary is, because it's just a matter of like changing mm -hmm. your thoughts. You know, you just walk in and it's just like, oh, now I'm a woman, now I'm a man, now I'm a, you know, you can put whatever, you can write whatever contract you want to, mm -hmm. with yourself, you know, to view something. And, um, and I really, I love that way of looking at it as well. It's just like, it's that easy, you know, if gender really is a construct, I mean, we really don't And that there's have a to, performative, you know, you, aspect you can change your thoughts. Too. And then <laughs> Sam also called it the women can be jerks <laughs> because it was, <laughs> it's about these really self-absorbed, privileged women who move through the world. Um, I, I said it in 1960s Paris, but I made it the 1960s Paris that I wanted it to be that doesn't have racism or misogyny. So um, women have tons of power. Uh, and, um, and people of all races have lots of power. And uh, so – and the – the women move through the world with incredible amounts of privilege and um and these two women are having an adulterous affair and they're they just they don't care who they hurt they don't you know and they they just kind of blow through people and um and are just like well you know just everything is my whim you know it's just like now i want her now i want this other one now i want to go here now i you know oh now i want to go back to my husband he's still waiting for me right and you know that kind of feeling of like just these incredibly thoughtless people um and then celebrating that in women rather than punishing them for it which i feel like in a lot of stories if women behave that way they're definitely punished in some weird way by the end either overtly or in a way where it's like, oh, they get very sick mm -hmm. or, you know, it's like if yeah. you see a woman in power, then suddenly she's, uh, she's taken down from some other aspect of her life, you know, or like her child dies or, you know, something awful happens to her where it's just like, wow, if you hadn't been so focused on your career, you <laughs> maybe know, now you could be happy. You probably wouldn't have gotten a fatal illness. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, why can't you just be happy with like all the amazing things that you have, like children? Now it makes me want to, so I'm going to, I have the last question. Now, now I'm going to rephrase it. What advice could you give to our female writers who have never written a play and how can they start? I would say, uh, first of all, write whatever you want. Don't listen to anyone who says that you can't write a play until you've done thing X, Y, Z. Anyone can write a play at any time. You can be sitting at your desk at work turn around and then just write a play. It's, it's fine. Um, and, um, and also don't, 
don't believe any of the rules about playwriting. You know, don't um, this. I'm only talking about plays because screenwriters, you have to. Play <laughs> it's the truth. But plays, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, you know. But um, uh, with plays, they can literally be anything. Um, and so if anyone tries to tell you, especially. I don't know, let's say a man tries to tell you that a play has to be a certain thing. Uh, no, you can you could write anything and then just write a play underneath of it and then that's a play. Wow. That's so true. So, that's I mean, really that's a what, good rule. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what yeah. Gertrude Stein did? Like, she wrote poems and then was just like, well, this is a play. And it was you like, could oh, write a okay. short story that's just play. in prose and then you know? as long as you put a play under the title, people will read it as a play. Yeah. It's a play. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's just a, it's another shift in uh, mm -hmm. mindset, you know, just like when you sit down to read it. Um, and I would say uh, also, oh, I'm just going to, this is not my quote at all, but like, you know, the, there's a really famous Anne Bogart quote that just says, don't wait for the right circumstances. Never think that writing a play has anything to do with like, oh, as soon as I get the right desk, or go to the right cafe, <laughs> or have this mm -hmm. right amount of time, or have the right outfit, or whatever it is. Like, you know, it's just because there's just no such thing. You're going to be all writers um, write at super weird, inconvenient, like, there's never a convenient, great time to write that just doesn't happen. You're going to be it's, you're going to be fitting it in on your lunch breaks right. and you're going to be waking up a little earlier in the morning or staying up later or whatever it is because you're going to have to fit it around your day job and you're going to have to fit it around your kids and your family mm -hmm. and your, you know, all of the obligations that you have. And so, but just, you just do it anyway because there are no right circumstances. So whatever you write is, it's This is so dangerous. Writing. But one time I was on my way to a, a meeting and I had to finish a sketch. I was in a traffic. I was literally <laughs> writing a sketch while oh I was driving God. in the traffic, and I was just like, this is so dangerous, but I have to finish this. I'm so glad you didn't cause an accident. Yeah, I didn't, but... It would have been worth it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam, listeners, listeners, these are very unreliable. These are no pain, no gain, Nina. who are making some very bad decisions. Oh, Sam, no. You you can't listen to her. She she's made so many choices that are very bad. Like she lives, you know. I think there's still snow on the ground where Sam lives. Like just consider who you are hearing this from, listeners. Because I can tell you, I'm I'm sitting in a very comfortable room right now, and I've I've made a lot of good choices. And I'm going to tell you, do not drive and write plays anywhere oh else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So now we are winding down and we got to do the glistens. Oh, yeah. It's our favorite part of the show. Um, <sighs> Sam, do you want to start? Do you have a glisten? I would love to start. Um, mm -hmm. My glisten, it's actually from last weekend. I went to the Humana Festival to see some new plays and I, and I loved everything I saw. But the glisten part of it is that um, my parents came with me. And I did not know how that was going to go because 
you know, spending a weekend with your parents, especially when you're seeing a bunch of new plays and you're a playwright, you know, you never know how it's going to go. My mom, I, you know, I had to keep reminding her not to like tell people how amazing my plays are. <laughs> um, but it was so fun. And I, and once I got amazing. past the, the concern that I had of like at the beginning of every, every play wondering whether my parents were going to like it, um, I really, <laughs> I really like talking about new plays with my parents, mm. and and because usually I talk about plays with other theater people, and and um, it was it was just really fun, and they had a great time, and I think they're going to insist on coming with me every year. So, oh, Mike, listen, is you guys? This goes to all the theater people out there. Just take your parents to a play. They might surprise you. Oh. I don't know, Sam. I don't know. <laughs> listeners, listeners, listeners. You, you were be given so much bad advice. <laughs> so much bad advice. Um, Mike, listen. So I don't, listeners probably know, but I'm engaged and I am trying to plan a wedding and it's been a pain in the butt. Yes. I wish my college education taught me how to plan a wedding because it's something that nobody teaches you and it's something you have to learn on your own and it's kind of stressful. And right now I am in a city an hour north of Santa Barbara in a little town called Lompoc, about to see another venue nearby. And I don't know, I'll keep you all posted. I'll keep you all posted what comes out of this. Keep us oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a good glisten. Mm-hmm. How about you, Nina? My glisten is uh, I went to a ballet Ooh. last night and um, it was, yeah, it's it was so insane um, and not in a good way. It was, uh, it was called Whipped Cream <laughs> and I, I went with a, a playwright. I know. Yeah, already it's, it's questionable. So, um, new ballet and I was talking with my friend uh, also a playwright who I went with so afterwards we're talking and um, first we had to talk through this bizarre well let me okay let me tell you the plot of it first because like ballet plots already are just so nuts so the plot of this was uh, a little boy gets his first communion weird already and then um and then we go celebrate the first communion by going to a candy <laughs> shop so he goes to the candy shop but then he eats too much candy this is a ballet whole, this is all just being danced this is a ballet so we're watching a bunch of kids dance after they've eaten too much okay. sugar and then we're watching adults playing children eating too much sugar and dancing and so then what the boy gets sick because he's eaten way too much. So then he is rushed to the hospital and then the candy store closes and then the entire rest of act one, which was another like, I don't know, 40 minutes, is a bunch of different candies dancing what? with each other. What? Um, yeah. So, uh, so the candies dance and then there's like a, a very heterosexual romance between Lady Tea Flower and Prince Coffee, and then um, and then it got super racist and weird because there was um, a Prince Sugar and a Prince Coco, 
Prince Coco was played by the only dancer of color in the company. Um, so that was just incredibly notable that like here's this African American dancer in a like a cocoa powder costume. Um, so it was just so that was bonkers. So then Act One closes and then um, it ends with uh, with a bunch of people coming out in all white and they slide down a gigantic slide and they are the embodiment of whipped cream. So they have a bunch of chiffon Whoa. over them and then they they dance around and they do like a whipped cream dance. That's what you can imagine when you're making whipped cream. Um, and then act two <laughs> is um, the kid in the hospital and the doctor, um, the doctor dances in and then a bunch of nurses, like 12 nurses come in on point shoes and they are holding gigantic like five foot syringes and um, and then they don't give him medicine and then because um, the doctor says no, but then the doctor gets drunk and then there's a ballet about what? the doctor getting drunk and then the nurses decide to get drunk. Yeah, I know. And then so I'm just going to cut to the end. And then in the dream, the little boy who was sick um, gets pronounced the prince of the candy kingdom. The end. That sounds wild. <laughs> If plays can be anything, so can ballet, I guess. Like, I don't even know how to process what I just heard. Yeah. Oh, imagine watching it. We, I, I've had, I've now spent like hours in conversation about this ballet because I'm like, what is this? My other friend who saw it, oh, your former guest, listeners, remember Micah Ariel James? We were discussing it this morning because she already saw it. She also saw it, and um, and she was like, I didn't care for it. I realized why I don't like ballet. And was that a story to just tell us that young white men should be allowed to eat as much candy as they want? Was <laughs> that, that seems like a really important <laughs> message in 2019. Yeah, That's what we all I mean, need I, to think, hear. I think they don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a very supportive message for these political times. Wow, Nina. Thanks for sharing yeah, my glisten. Yeah, that's my glisten. <laughs> wow. Whipped cream. Whipped cream. So, Nina, where can our listeners find you? Oh, you can find me on my website, which is ninamorrison.com. Um, and Feminal is going to be at Grumble Theater. And tickets are now on sale, and you can get those tickets on grumbletheater.org. And that's spelled T-H-E-A-T-E-R um, dot org. Awesome. Well, great. Nina, yes. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. Yeah, it was I've so great talking to you. It's been such an honor to be on it. This is wonderful. All right, listeners. Um, you know what to do next. Go and comment, review, uh, tell your friends, <laughs> tell all your friends, find yeah. us at, at Beckett's Babies. Uh, we're also on the World Wide Web, Beckett'sBabies.com. So, yay, we did it! Yay! <laughs> we did it. This is incredible. It's amazing. All right. Thanks, and Nina. Everyone, go write a play. Yeah, listeners, go write a play. It's so easy. It's so easy. In your car. In your car, <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.
拜。